I give my dad grace and forgiveness because I think as a human being, when he was 35 years old and he was trying to start his life over and had a two-year-old son and another one on the way, he was probably like, holy shit, like what have I got myself into here? Maybe that was, maybe that was his line of thinking. But six months after we were reunited, I asked him to dinner and I think he knew why. And so we're sitting there exchanging just pleasantries at dinner and he's like, and he knew, he goes, so why are we here? He goes, I think I know why we're here, but why are we here? And I go, sorry, I, uh, I, I told him, I said, listen, I have a son now because at the time Ethan was born. And I said, I want to have this conversation one time and then I don't want to have it again. And I said, I'm going to be very blunt with you with some questions, and I just want you to be honest. And then let's not talk about it again. And I remember asking him, I was like, can you please explain to me why in God's name you left when I was a kid, when I was a baby, and then you did it again when I was 12? Like, why? How? Why? And he was very humble about the whole thing. He was like, I was a kid pretty much when I had you. And that's no excuse. He's like, that's zero excuse. He goes, before I explain all this, he goes, you know, I need to ask for forgiveness. He's like, and it was the worst thing I've ever done. And I did it twice. Hey guys, if you missed out on the last conference in Nashville, Tennessee, you don't want to miss out on the next one. It's April 28th through May 3rd, Orlando, Florida, the Gaylord Palms Resort and Convention Center. You made a mistake missing the last one. You don't want that to happen again on this one. Five days of some of the best training you're ever going to experience packed into one event. We have an early bird special right now. $50 off. Use 24 early bird on our website, streetcop.com. Look for the conference. Click the link. Register today. If you want to get significantly better at this profession in five days, don't dare miss out on the 2024 Street Cop Conference. Hey guys, welcome to this episode of the Street Cop Training Podcast. I'm your host, founder and CEO of Street Cop Training. My name is Dennis Benino. And as always, on the ones and twos, Frankie, you're actually sitting in on this one, huh? Usually he sets the shit and leaves and walks out and does something else. But today he's sitting in with us because we have an in-person guest, Larry Hagner, from the Dad Edge Experience. It's a well-known podcast. He's got a lot of significant guests on there. I was watching your Matthew McConaughey interview this morning while I was pooping. <laughs> And in my head the whole time, I'm just like, all right, all right. All right, all right. All right. I'm, glad, I'm glad we keep you company. Bro, thanks for coming in. You are one of the few podcast guests that has flown in and opted to, making a trip out of this whole tri-state area experience. And so thanks for being here and tell us uh, who you are and what you do. So I'm, I'm the, uh, I'm, first of all, I'm a, I'm a husband and a father. Uh, I'm celebrating 20 years of, of marriage with, with my wife, Jessica. I've known her for 20, actually, wait, what's... Actually, I think it's as of today, as we're recording, this is tw- year 27, that, I, that I've known her. So I've, we met in college. Uh, I, I am the father of four boys, 17, 15, 9, and 7. I jokingly say this, even though my oldest is here in studio with us today, that a lot of people have asked me, you know, what's it like raising four boys? And I, my, my answer really hasn't changed. It's, it's literally like, just imagine you're at a uh, fraternity party where everybody's drunk and nobody wants to sleep and there's piss everywhere and nobody, you just never leave. That's, that's my home. 
but in the most the loving best. environment possible. Yeah. With, with a lot of humor. Oh, they're fucking funny, dude. <laughs> yeah. But also the founder of, of the Dad Edge, uh, Dad Edge podcast, um, also our, um, our community, the Dad Edge Alliance, we call it, and been doing that now for doing the podcast now for it's going on nine years. And uh, our community has been since 2016. And it's been awesome, man. It's been quite a journey. It's been a journey of absolute 100% grassroots learning. And that's what it's all about. And you look young. You talk about 27 years. You know your wife. How old are you? How old do you think I am? I, well, I'm going to do math now. Yeah. So I'm going to say 45. Okay. Well, I'll tell you. If, if I didn't tell you the years, I'm just curious. Like, what would you think? I mean, you look younger than you actually right. are. Yeah. You could probably get away with 35. That's what he says all the time. Yeah. 35. 35. You get away with. If you probably shave the facial hair, yeah, you'd be I bet right. I'm really a baby man. That's like, what I'm saying. That's why I yeah. keep it off, brother. Yeah, yeah. Like people think I'm. I mean, I was happy to receive a compliment from one of our guests who is a basically like a biologics doctor, and he's like, via Zoom, I could say that you're at least ten years younger than you actually are. Yeah, biologically. So if we came here and we ran you through the tests and did all the work on you, he's like, you're probably ten years younger than your actual age. Yeah, biologically. Yeah. So, but I'm 48. I just turned 48. I guess you guys were how old when you met? So she was 18. I was 21. At a boy. And uh, yeah, it was. Uh, oh man, I, I'll still never forget the first time I saw her. I was. I, I did the really, really. Like, the funny thing is, is out of you know people that I dated in the past before her, I was the least smooth and had the most face plants with her. Shit. Of all of all of them. So it was. It was what kind was of that like? <laughs> so, you know, like I. When I was in college, so I was a sophomore, she was a freshman when I met her. So I had one year, you know, without her there. And I, I was always one of those guys in college though. And I, it, this was not always so. Like when I was in high school, I was fat. I had no girls ever like me at all, like ever. And then I kind of had, I lost weight when I was a junior and that kind of thing. But after a while, I was like, man, I went through so long of like girls not liking me, think I'm gross and disgusting and like this fat slob. That when I lost weight, I became like confident and I was like, you know what? I'm not going to waste any more time. If I'm interested in a girl or if I like a girl, I'm going to go up and talk to her like, and just yeah. do that. And I struck out a lot, sure. But, um, but I also had a good amount of dates, but I would just confidently go up to girls and introduce myself and that kind of thing. With her, it was the opposite. I saw her all over campus, man, for like three months and we lived in the same dorm room. So like we would be in the elevator together every day. And I would just be like, I'd be like, okay, yeah, today's the day. Today, I'm going to talk to her. Today's the day. I would never do it. And then all my friends would be like, Hagner, like, come on, man. You ever going to talk to this girl? Like, you know, so finally, I'll never forget uh, one night I was heading to the fitness center and it was in the evening and I'm in the elevator and the doors open up on her floor and she comes walking and it's just her and I. And I'm like, oh my God, it's that girl. It's that girl. Like, I'm sitting here like, it was like literally like in the movies, I'm like, you know, like trying to like, should I say something? Should I not? And then she talks to me and she's like, so where are you headed to? And I was like, I was like, I'm, I'm actually, I'm actually going to the fitness center. Where are you going? And we could tell like she was in workout clothes and so was I. And she was like, I'm actually, uh, I'm actually going for a run. She, Do you want to go for a run with me? And I'm Sick. like, and dude, I hate running like with a passion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, I would love to go running. Let's go running. Oh. <laughs> she ran track and cross country. Oh, so she was in good oh, shape. Dude. You were a fucking putz. Oh, I, I, I was like dying. Like, I think she even joked with me. She's like, I thought you liked the run. I'm like, I do. Just much shorter distances and not as fast or really ever. Right. So, but 
the funny thing was, is I was dating somebody, she was dating somebody. And then we, that one night of running turned into like, kind of like that we started like hanging out, like, oh, we go grab lunch the next day, walk to our class the next day, like just sort of like lingered in the same orbit. And dude, it was like three weeks, man, three weeks of like, it was driving me crazy because I had my eye on her for months. And I was like, is this girl like me? I could not tell. Is this girl like me? I don't know. And I know she's dating somebody and I'm dating somebody, but we're kind of hanging out. Like, I don't, And then the very first time I ever kissed her, this was actually a speech at my best man, or a speech at my wedding from my best man. So three weeks into us hanging out, we go for another run and we're sitting on this park bench in a park in, in the evening and she's talking. And I'm like, if I don't make a move on this girl, like I'm going to lose my mind. I, I just, I have to know where I stand. And she's like, just talking. And I literally did this countdown in my head. <laughs> Five, four, three, two, one. With I'm going to go in. Lot. Right. And the other thing too is like, if you're, if you've seen the movie Hitch. Yes. Yeah. So where Kevin James goes 90 and 10, like, mm-hmm. so I just grabbed her and kissed her and she didn't kiss me back. And Ooh. I'm like, oh, and then she started laughing and I'm like, Oh, this is beyond humiliating right now. And then she like grabs me and kisses me back. And I'm like, all right, now I'm confused. Like what's going on? She's like, and she's just laughing. She's like, that was the funniest thing I've ever seen. I'm like, why? And she's like, I'm like right in the middle of talking and you just come like barreling in, like your lips puckered up, your eyes closed, like just like Kevin J. I'm like, oh my God. So when we saw that movie 10 years later, we're in the theater watching that movie and that part comes up and she just starts dying laughing i was like what's so funny she's like that that was it that's what you look like and i'm like oh my god so like just it was it, it did not have the smoothest start but uh but here we are 27 years later did you find out later on that she had the hots for you too yeah she did okay yeah, i had no clue she was such, she still is like i mean he'll tell you like mom has like a, a, a poker face. You could bring her to Vegas and you won't know what cards are in her hand. Poker she just, face RBF though, maybe a little bit. Oh, big time. Yeah. She jokes about that all the time. She's all like, and that was the other reason I wouldn't talk to her. Like at first she was very intimidating. Cause I was like, this girl looks like she could like, I, I don't know. Is she nice? Is she, she's the sweetest, most low maintenance, low drama, amazing woman I've ever, ever known. But yeah, her looks are a little deceiving. Uh, people's looks are often deceiving, and I constantly try to play the psychology game. Yeah, yeah. It's all very interesting. Just such a unique game out here that everybody's playing. But I think most people have a hard shell on the outside mm-hmm. and generally have a soft shell on the inside. Yeah. So, you know, that kind of sounds a little strange, like an Eminem. But that's kind of really how a lot yeah. of people are. And I got to be honest with you, the harder the shell, the softer and, and you know, kinder the person is on the inside oh michelle is very tough on the outside i'm like michelle ain't fucking tough right it's just this bullshit it's all facade you crack that egg it's gonna be fucking wonderful on the inside yeah that kind of sounds strange but yeah um you know so you know you obviously do this workshop and these things like what's some of the impact that you've seen through the work that you've done through the podcast and the dad workshops uh, you know that you're the most proud of maybe like you know sure like, yeah what's the most rewarding you know there, there's been Man, we, we've had over, over the past seven and now going into eight years since we've had our community, uh, we've had over almost 4,000 guys go through our program. And I mean, I, I've, seen some, I've seen some really dark things. I've seen some miraculous things and everything in between. But I would say, you know, a few things that 
I've seen that are just incredible is, you know, like for instance, we'll have a guy that, you know, he has no clue how to have conversations or even relate to his teenage daughter, right? Has no idea how to do that. And just by learning through some of the things we've done and, and most importantly, learning from the guys who are in the community, it's not necessarily the stuff that we teach. We do teach a lot, but it's what we call crowdsource wisdom from other men who have other experiences, you know, with, with daughters. And I've seen men completely and totally reinvent relationships and connections and have co- what we call conversational excellence with their daughters, connections with their daughters. I've seen that with their teenage sons. I've seen marriages. Dude, I'll never forget this one guy and I'll leave names out of it. He came and did life with us a few years back and I asked him, I was like, you know, why are you here? He's like, I really need to learn how to connect with my wife. And if you really think about that, like we are not taught how to do that. You know, you have, you know, this is street, street cop, right? You know, and I say this all the time on the podcast that if you want to go be a law enforcement officer, you, know, you have to go to the academy. You have to learn. You have to learn all these skills that are so important to keep you safe, you know, the people around you safe. You know, you don't just wing it, but we wing it in marriage and fatherhood a lot. But there's this one guy, man, he's just like, I really need to connect with my wife again. I was like, well, tell me what's going on. He's like, well, you know, we're pretty much, you know, individuals living under the same house, uh, under the same roof. She's got a boyfriend. Um, and I just don't, he's like, you know, we're pretty much talking divorce and like, we have zero attachment whatsoever. And I was like, so wait a second, let me get this straight. You guys are still married. You still live under the same roof. She has a boyfriend. He's like, yeah, yeah, she has for like six months. And I'm like, how does, how does this sit with you? Like, it just seems astonishing to me. Like I, I, I say all the time, like, I think I've heard it all. And then I hear something else. I'm like, oh, I, I definitely haven't heard it all. But this guy, I'll, I'll put it this way. He's got the same name I do. His name's Larry. And he worked on that relationship for six months. And if you would have asked me when I first met him, is this going to work out? I would have told you, there's nothing you can throw at this relationship that is gonna, ever going to make it work. Six months later, he was dedicated to the work, which shockingly so, because I think there's a lot of guys out there who'd be like, uh, she's gone. Like, she's got a boyfriend. I'm not with her. But he, was, he really wanted to work, out, work it out. And he was religious with the work. And six months later, they, the boyfriend was gone. They had completely renewed their relationship. A month later, they renewed their vows and basically committed to themselves again, committed to the relationship all over again, they basically got remarried. And I was like, holy crap. Like, I, I can't believe, like, if that's ever a case study for something that could, you would think, would never ever be turned around. That is a comeback story. I think I've one of the best I've ever heard. Um, so that's marriage, and I, I think from a just from a confidence standpoint, and just from a learning standpoint, there are so many micro lessons that just we learn together as a community. And a lot of times, it's not like I said, it's not even the things that we're teaching them. Like we teach a lot of different things: conversational excellence with your wife, how to connect better with your kids. Um, how to be a more effective and efficient leader, uh, how to take better care of yourself physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, all of these things. But these guys really learn from the experiences and the conversations from each other. And by doing that, they shortcut these learning curves tremendously in their own lives and their relationships, which is pretty awesome to watch. 
far as Larry's story, not you, Larry, the other Larry, yeah. goes, I guess at some point the wife had to be receptive to listening. Yeah. So is that something, I'm curious, what was the preface to that situation? Who disengaged from that marriage? Who walked away? Because in a marriage, both people have to want for it to work. No matter how bad Larry may have wanted to get back with his wife, if his wife wasn't receptive or didn't want that, there's nothing Larry could do to essentially get back together with his wife. Is that a fair statement? I think that, yeah, absolutely. So you know the, the preamble of how they ended up at that s- junction in their life with her having a boyfriend and him whatever so it's going back a few years i don't remember all the details of of why it got so so bad all i know is there was probably from what i remember there was a big part of her that just wanted connection from him and if you really look at marriage and the difference between men and women i mean the way we communicate the way we connect a lot of times in relationships we feel that we're speaking french and she's speaking chinese like we're literally speaking two different languages and there's actually studies on, on couples that stay together, and I'll, I'll share those with you. So, Gottman theories? You huh? Gottman books? So I think some of this does come from Gottman, but everybody knows the divorce rate's 50%. What people don't know is the 50% that stay together are actually divided up. If you look at statistics and surveys, they're actually divided up into three equal camps, so 33%, 33%, and 33%. One-third of couples that stay together actually identify their relationship is like, hey, it's, it, it works. Like, it's great. Like, I love her. She loves me. We have, we have great communication. There's, there's going to be speed bumps. But overall, like, we're happy. We wouldn't change a whole lot. That's camp number one. Camp number two is like, eh, it's all right. We're, they're settling. You know, it's not necessarily no one's looking for a divorce or a separation, but it's just not exactly what they planned on, and they don't know how to get it to camp one. Just really no clue. And then the third camp, that's basically emotional divorce. This is two individuals living under the same roof, totally separate lives, kind of like Larry and his wife, right? And basically the only two reasons they stay together is it's too financially devastating to get divorced, or they have this perception of we have to stay together for the kids. And I think if, if you're in camp three, personally, and this is just my opinion for what it's worth, I'm not... I'm not a fan of divorce, but I'm also not a fan of like, well, we have to be miserable and dislike each other and the kids will see this relationship play out because we're sticking it out for them. And if you really think about our kids, they have a front row 3D movie and they are watching every single move that we make as a, as a married couple. Like, I don't know, I, I'm sure you probably feel the same way, but I feel like this ultimate responsibility to my sons and my oldest is here in studio of like, hey, I am going to love your mom the way a man should love his wife. I'm going to talk to your mom the way a man should talk to his wife. I'm going to be affectionate with her, support her, care for her in a way that, that I would love for you to learn the same, right? And my wife has the exact same perspective. She's like, I need to love you and set this bar really, really high so our boys know how a woman needs to treat a man. Because it's great if, if, if they know how to love a woman, but they also have to have a tolerance for what they're willing to put up with. Mm-hmm. And she's like, and it's my job and my duty to show the boys like, this is how you, this is how you receive love. This is how a wife should love her man. So I think that 
if you're in camp number three and, you know, if, and I know this is probably not a popular thing and it might trigger a lot of people, but if your perspective is we got to stay together for the kids, I think that, I think you need to take a good look at that. You know, you either need to fix some things because there, you've got eyes that are watching you or maybe it's time to move on. I don't really know. People end up in camp three often because of financial constraint. No question about it. Yeah. And so I think that there is this fear in many people's parts of disturbing their children's lives. And so I've, you know, like I'm always curious about this stuff. But a lot of therapists on the show were friends with a lot of therapists. And we had somebody on not too long ago, one of our five typical therapists on the show. And there are people who have faked it until the kids got old enough to handle it. And then those kids were better for it. And then half of it was those kids were worse for it because they felt like they'd been lied to for so long. So, you know, life's interesting when you're facing challenges of what's the best decision at this time for this situation. Um, but, you know, I, I certainly don't want people who are listening to this podcast to have false hope or to think that maybe the situation that you're in has been categorized by this one conversation when. I would suggest and imagine at least that the complexities of each situation must be vastly different in every single way. Um, and, and I know that nobody wants to go through a separation. Nobody wants to go through a divorce. I don't think anybody gets married with the intention. I think people make very poor choices when getting married because they lack patience and discipline because being single is painful, dude. Like it is the pits. And I watch it. I watch it all the time with people here and friend, you know, we have a younger staff here. So they're in their twenties, they're in that dating mode. And I watch people stay with people way too long and eventually it all crumbles. But a year ago, you're telling this person like, you know, this is never going to work, right? Oh, I love him. Oh, she loves me. Uh, you know, guys, uh, we know what love is. Yeah. I'm always curious to see why things failed. And for the most part, Generally, when somebody gets divorced, I'll say to them, like, you knew it was no good before you got married, right? And they're like, yeah, I know I should have never done it. And I'm like, yeah, because you're fucking you're too scared of the, the short-term pain. I, I mean, it just goes, I mean, it's, it's more proof that I think a lot of people have no clue what to do. You know, they, they have no clue how to even work with somebody else, you know, when it comes to just even relationship dynamics, you know? Emotional yeah. intelligence, man. Emotional intelligence, yeah. How, I you, mean, if you're fucking around with somebody who has no emotional intelligence... You're in trouble, bro. Jessica and I, like, I, like, I, I knew, I think, early on that Jessica and I were going to end up together. But I, w- I dated her for seven years. That's a long time. It's a long time. I had, but because of how I grew up, though, I, 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 was, I was pretty deathly afraid of commitment and making a mistake. I mean, my mom was married three times and revolving door of boyfriends in between. So I, I had bad judgment, huh? Oh, it was, it was really bad. I mean, every guy was the same guy, just a partier, you know, an abuser, just cr- a cr- an absolute crazy person really. Yeah. And so like my view of relationships and this, this sounds like, even as I look back on it now, like I remember being Ethan's age, uh, who's here with us in the studio, 17, 18 years old. And I remember like saying out loud to like my friends being like, why would I want to get married? Married is getting married is the first step to breaking up marriage is the first step to divorce. But um, the thing that I appreciate most about my wife is that she's 
she's like, I, she, was, she, was, she was not raised with that silver spoon whatsoever. She comes from a blue collar family, two younger brothers. She grew up on dune buggies and dirt bikes. Right? Awesome. Yeah. It's good. That's a good making for a good girl. It I is. look at my, my daughter, I'm like, she'd be a good one. Yeah. Three brothers. Three she's brothers. She's on quads since she's right. nine months. Yeah. Right. She loves to go on quads and dirt bikes. This right. Is, this is the making of a good one. It is. I mean, I, I always call her, she's like a guy's gal, you know? Yeah. She's one of those women, like, they'd be like, what's Jessica like? And I was like, the best way I can describe her is like, imagine like this woman who's got this perfect mixture of tough love. Cause I mean, the boys will tell you, be like, uh, yeah, we don't mess with mom. But at the same time, she will, she will love on you, tell you how great you are, like support you. She'll be at every game. Like, I mean, she, she is a good mother of boys from a, from a relationship perspective. I couldn't ask for a better partner. Like she's, she's the type of girl that she'll throw on some yoga pants, she'll put her hair in a ponytail, no makeup on. She'll kick your ass in the gym punch you in the arm and then go have a burger and a, with an egg on it with extra bacon and a beer after we're done. I love it. And I'm just like, this is like, this is awesome. Cause I, I, I've, I've dated women in the past where it's just like, oh, we're going to the gym. I don't want to sweat. And I'm like, oh my God, mm-hmm. oh, we're going to the gym. I need to put my makeup on. I'm like, why would you want to put makeup on? Oof. I, I think, uh, I think there's a lot to be said for, you know, like you were saying, like you need to, I think you need to know what it is that is important to you. Like what, what is it you're looking for? And don't settle for that. I think you're right. A lot of people do settle. They're, they're impatient. You know, they don't necessarily want to go through the trouble of the hard work. Yeah. They want to, they don't want to lose the weight, stay fit. Right. Cause like when you stay fit, lose weight, are better looking, you're going to open up your options more. There's no question about it. You know, you see the divorce bodies, right? You see a dude, you're like, Whoa, dude, you're looking fucking Jack. What? Like, yeah, no, I get I'm, I'm single again. I'm single again. Yeah. Right now I'm not like hooking up with 23 year olds yeah. and I'm like, you look fantastic. Got rid of the beer belly. You know, I actually thought about this in the shower because as I was shitting before I... Right, and listening to my podcast. I'm like, yo, honestly, I bet you, I'd probably give this advice to people. The likelihood that you met your soulmate in the first few times that you've dated a girl is so fucking nil. Mm -hmm. And so I don't think people really know and can discern what being in love is versus what loving somebody is. And I would argue that most of you love your partner, but most of you aren't in love with your partner. I think love is a verb. You know, it's, it's, um, it's the actions you take. And yeah, it's a feeling as well. Me, me, and, me and Jessica actually just had this conversation. And uh, I was like, because we, we were talking about like, you know, what does it mean for us to be together for 20 years? Because if you ask either one of us together and separately, like, we'll both tell you that we love each other now more than we did it gets better and better it gets right? better and better i and i'm sitting here thinking like i don't even know how this has really happened but if i really look at the breadcrumbs like just things that i've learned doing what i do and and her being a really patient woman on top of it um you know we th- there's been a lot of things that we've done right especially over the past five years but i asked her i was like you know everyone says love is a verb and the feeling of love drifts away and i, I said well, what, what do you think of that and i told i asked i told her i was like i have my opinion on this i'm just curious what yours is and i didn't tell her what my opinion is but i'll tell you and i told her after she told me and our our views of it were the exact same so we both agree that love is a verb it's the actions you take it's the things that you do selflessly uh, but it's also a feeling that accompanies with that and a lot of people will be like well i just don't feel like we're in love anymore and i'm like well, then 
sometime, and I'm saying with every relationship, I notice, and so does she, that the feeling of this in love thing tends to diminish a little bit if we're not both putting in very intentional effort Mm -hmm. to love the other person. Mm -hmm. And the interesting thing is, is the more intentional effort we put in, the more that feeling of being in love actually stays around, which is, I, I think, I don't remember ever being told that growing up. Like, I don't think anybody ever kind of like pulls you aside and tells you things like that. But I think it's just something very- they don't know. They That's don't know. why, because they don't know what advice to give yeah. you. My parents hated each other. Did, yours did? Oh. Yeah. I, lived, I grew up in fucking chaos. Yeah. Did your mother ever try to give you relationship advice? Oh, boy. Uh, yeah. Yeah, she did. I mean, but the funny thing was, is, you know, the, re- the relationship with my mom is, is really- strained you know to say the least she's you know like i said she's been i think my mom did the best she could with what she had to be honest especially now that i'm older and i look back on things but i also know that my mom probably dealt with her own trauma growing up big time you know uh the the, but yeah she she would give me advice but she would never I, i would always see her looking back on all the relationships that she had she would always pick the same guy the same toxic guy, like the same guy, like literally the, the type of guy that in your position with, with your background and being a police officer, where you're around somebody and you're like, I don't know what it is about this guy, but I'm not digging it. Mm-hmm. I'm not buying it. And this guy just doesn't feel right to me. Yeah. I remember feeling- Bad boys. Your mom like bad boys. She did. And I remember like feeling that feeling every single time a new guy came into the picture. And it, it sucked, man. Um, the interesting thing, though, is like this, the story, though, I have with my dad. So that one is very unique. And it's part of the reason why I'm doing what I'm doing today. So my mom was married in 71, had me in 75. They were married the whole time. About a year after I was born, they got divorced. And it was really ugly from what I understand. My dad was out. And I think he tried to have visitation and whatnot, but it really wasn't working out. They were young at the time. They only got married at 21. Probably like, very emotionally unintelligent. Can't yeah, communicate with I each mean, other. He right? was 25 when I was born. That's so crazy. Like, you know, and he's former military. And so he, uh, I, I had- You didn't choose that, right? Just, that's just how you were born, right? You yeah. You get to choose your parents. It's fucked up. It is. And, but my dad, I mean, he, I think he did the best he could with what he had, which wasn't much at the time. but. They got divorced and I have no recollection of him whatsoever. I mean, I remember being four years old and the very first man that I remember coming into my life was six months later, he was my stepdad and then he adopted me. But I literally remember being- Did your mother divorce that guy too? Did my mom divorce him? Yeah. Your stepdad who adopted you? Yeah, who adopted me. That's gonna be a fun fucking roller coaster ride. It was was pretty crazy. But the funny part is though, is I remember being four and I remember- knowing what a dad was because my friends would, their dads would come pick them up for preschool. So I knew what a dad was. We didn't have one. Didn't bother me. I didn't, I, in my mind, moms went out and found dads and my mom hadn't found my dad yet. That's how, that's literally, I thought I miraculously appeared and that's, that was, you know, that's how it happened. And dude, I'll never forget the very first time my mom brought this guy home and I think she had been dating him for a while. I'll never forget the day that she actually said it. She pulled me aside and she's like, Hey, um, I'm having a really special friend come over for dinner tonight and I want you to meet him. And, and he's a special friend. Like we've, 
you know, I've been talking to him a lot and that kind of thing. And that was her way of saying, I've been dating this guy. Right. And I was like, in my mind, it clicked. I was like, oh my God, she found the dad. Like, this is dad. Right. So this guy comes walking in our house that evening, wearing a three piece suit, double Windsor tie, the vest, the whole nine yards, the feathered hair, mustache. He was a white collar data software engineer. And I'll never forget, man, this masculine male figure comes walking in my house the first time I remember this happening. And I was like, oh my God, that's him. And I shook his hand. And literally the first question I asked him was, are you going to be my dad? Wow. And I remember like this gasp, you know, of my mom was like, oh, oh my God, you know? And like, but they, they got married. Um, I didn't know it at the time, but my father had signed over parental rights for him to adopt me. I had no clue. He adopted me. And it wasn't until I was 10, they got divorced. It was, it was a roller coaster of six years. I think my mom going back to the first 30 minutes we were talking, I think my mom really loved the idea of him being a part of our family and loved the idea of me having a father. And my mom was young at that time, 25. She, yeah, she was probably or she was seeking 30. somebody yeah. to be a father for you more 100%. than waiting to try to fall in love, yeah. finding a suitor who'd be appropriate right. for her family. But it was, dude, it was mad chaos. Like they fought so badly that cops would come to our know, neighbors would, would come would would call the cops and we had cops come over to our house break them up one one night they even put my dad in the back of the car you know to calm him down came back in but they got divorced when i was 10 i've never seen him since wow and when i was 12 i and i i'm happy to give you the detail but i, I don't have to out of sake of time but i actually time. okay so i was i was 12 and I knew that I had a biological father out there. Cause I, I asked my mom, I was like, wait, 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 where, where did I come from? And she's like, well, I actually was married before and you have a dad out there. And I'm like, wait, what? Like, what are you talking about? Showed me the wedding album. And I was like, oh. I was like, holy shit. Like, where is he? She's like, I don't know. I, I don't know where he's at. So 12 years old, it was Christmas break. I'll never forget it. I was in seventh grade. I went up to this like rec center up down the street for me to shoot some baskets. And I knew his last name. And I was getting a basketball from the clerk behind the desk. And I saw this woman walking in the building and I heard the clerk say, here comes Mrs. My dad's last name. And it's not a very common name. And I'm like, that's kind of crazy. I was like, I was like, what is she here for? And the guy looked at me, he's like, she's here to pay for a hockey payment. Her husband plays hockey up here. I was like, what's her husband's name? And he said, Larry, and it's my dad's name. Wow. So I was like, oh my God. I was like, I think that woman's married to my dad. So I- Holy fuck, dude. Yeah, I, she, paid the pay, she paid the check and I'm just standing there like for me to her, like waiting for her to be done. And then I went up to her, I was like, excuse me. And she's like, yeah. And I go, what's your name? And she told me, I go, what's your last name? And she told me, and I was like, are you married to a guy named Larry? And she said, yeah. And I go, I'm pretty sure your husband's my dad. And she's like, and she looked at me and she's like, Sweetheart, are you Larry? <laughs> and uh, I'm like, yeah, yeah, I am. And she goes, um, would you like to talk to him? I was like, I, I would, yeah, I would love to. She pulls me around the corner to a payphone, pops a quarter in, and she's like, hey, I'm up here at the rec center, and I just ran into your 12-year-old son. You want to talk to him? And she just handed the phone over. and. I remember hearing his voice on the other line. I was like, I don't remember what we said. I just remember we talked and I got his, she gave me their number and I went home. I told my mom and she was not happy about it. But, um, 
I asked her, I was like, can I please, can I see him? You know, can I, you know, I really wanted a relationship with him. I'll never forget meeting him the first time. And then we hung out, like he was remarried, two-year-old son, another one on the way. And we hung out for like five months. And I, he came to like all my Little League games. He lived three miles from us. And I just remember it was so cool in the beginning because I was calling him dad like right off the bat. Like, wow. his dad, like you know, I want to spend all the time I could with him. And then like month five, I just noticed something was odd. Something was different. It didn't feel right. Like there was something tense on him. He was quiet. He was distant, a little colder. And the best way I can describe it is imagine a girl that you've dated and she's not into you anymore, but she hasn't told you, but you know it's coming. That's what it felt like. Damn. I'll never forget. I picked up the phone one day and I hadn't heard from him in a couple of weeks and I called him and I was just like, you know, hey, what's something going on? And I don't even remember what it's was. fucked up, man. Yeah, it was crazy. I don't remember what was said. All I remember was how it ended. And that was, we're, we're done here. Wow. He went his way. I went my way. And that spun me up pretty, pretty, pretty bad. And I didn't see him. You know, I went on to high school, went on to college, married my college sweetheart. Well, 18 years ago, something big happened. I'm 30 years old. My wife is pregnant with Ethan. I'm sitting in a Starbucks for a business meeting. And, and I, there's somebody, this guy walks in, caught my eye, I looked over and I was like, holy shit. I was like, that's my dad, like my father. And one of my coworkers, we were also friends outside of work. And she knew the story of my dad. And she's like, she looked, saw this look on my face and she's like, are you all right? I'm like, I was like, you're not going to believe this. I was like, but my father just walked in here. She's like, wait, what? Like the one from when you were 12? I'm like, yeah. She's like, where is he? He's right over there. Wow. She's like, oh my God, what are you going to do? What are you going to say to him? I was like, I'm not going to say a word to him. She's like, wait, wait, you're going to let him walk out of here? And I was like, yeah, that's, that's the plan. Without even a word, she just got up and walked right over to him and sat at his table. And I was like, what in, what in God's name is happening right now? It was probably from me to Ethan. I'm like, what, what is about to happen here? And I saw them talking and I could read his lips and I saw him say, where is he? And he started look, looking around and then we hit, made eye contact. And dude, I, I was just like, do I leave? Like, I don't know if I want to talk to this guy. He gets up, comes over, shakes my hand. He's like, you know, hey, you know, I, how are you? And I was like, I'm fine. How are you? And he's like, I'm good. He's like, well, what, what do you do for a living? Like, are, are you married? And I'm like, yeah, I'm married. I was like, I have a son on the way and medical device sales. And he's like, oh, that's awesome. He's like, I was like, what about you? He's like, I'm still married. I'm still married to the same woman. He's like, you know, I have two younger half brothers. He talked about them. He's like, we should get together sometime. And I'm like, uh-huh. I was like. Like he's your fucking old college buddy. Right. <laughs> he was, I, I think he was doing the best he could. He was completely thrown Caught off. Caught off guard, right? Know? So I sent a, I gave, I was like, I'll tell you what, here's my card. Cause at the time there were no smartphones, just shows 2005. Here's my card. So you want to get together? I was like, you know, I'll, I'll just wait to hear from you. I didn't expect to hear anything. And I think it was a day or two later. I got this like email, like this email. And it was very heartfelt, very humbling. And basically the whole gist of the email was worst mistake I ever made. I've thought about you every day. Um, I'd like to explore some kind of relationship with you and your family, if you would have it, you know, and at the very least, I'd like to take you to breakfast. And that was 18 years ago. 
and we've got a relationship still to this day. That's wild. Yeah. Two younger. How half. did you figure out how to forgive that man? So Oof, that's fucking interesting, dude. I'll never forget. It was probably the first six months or so that we were hanging out again and I was seeing him pretty often and you know, he was what were the feelings you were going through. I don't want to miss that. Did you go there with guarded, man. frustrated, ready to strangle him? <laughs> I mean, I still have them to this day a little bit. Yeah, not not, bad, not the feelings of strangulation or anything <laughs> like that, but it's more more so like there's that. The little boy didn't have a dad. Yeah, there's a kid in me that's like, because like, I have a 17 year old, a 15 year old, nine year old, and a seven year old, and they've all have reached that age of 12. And dude, there's not. I've told my wife this. I've told my boys this. There's nothing on this planet, and I can say this with all confidence, mm-hmm. nothing that would keep me away from my kids. No and there's, shit. There's not one bone in my body that could be like, I just can't do this right now. Right, dude. And, but again, I, I, I give my dad grace and forgiveness because I think as a human being, when he was 35 years old and he was trying to start his life over and had a two-year-old son, another one on the way, he was probably like, holy shit, like what have I got myself into here? Maybe that was, maybe that was his line of thinking. But six months after we were reunited, I asked him to dinner and I think he knew why. And so we're sitting there exchanging just pleasantries at dinner and he's like, and he knew, he goes, so why are we here? He goes, I think I know why we're here, but why are we here? And I go, sorry. I, uh, I, I told him, I said, listen, I have a son now because at the time Ethan was born. And I said, I want to have this conversation one time and then I don't want to have it again. And I said, I'm going to be very blunt with you with some questions, and I just want you to be honest. And then let's not talk about it again. And I remember asking him, I was like, can you please explain to me why in God's name you left when I was a kid, when I was a baby, and then you did it again when I was 12? Like, why? How, why? And he was very humble about the whole thing. He was like, I was a kid pretty much when I had you. And that's no excuse. He's like, that's zero excuse. He goes, before I explain all this, he goes, you know, I need to ask for forgiveness. He's like, and it was the worst thing I've ever done. And I did it twice. He's like, but when me and your mom had the divorce we did, which was, it was horrible, absolutely horrible divorce. He goes, I would come and pick you up and want to spend time with you and you didn't want anything to do with me. Like you were like this little bitty guy and you just wanted your mom. And he's like, and I felt like every time I took you away, like it was like horrible for you. He's like, you know, so I stopped coming around obviously as much. And then your mom was really pressing me to sign over parental rights to your stepdad, which that was the darkest day of my entire life. When I did that, he's like, I cried for 24 hours, you know, on that day. He's like, had I known that your dad, your stepdad was the monster that he was, I would have never let that happen. Mm. He goes, I honestly thought when I signed those papers, I was giving you the gift of a better life that I could not give you. He's like, so it came from a selfless place, even though it was terrible, terrible decision. He's like, then when you were 12, he goes, I was 
just started our business and I was in the groove of being remarried again. I had this two-year-old son and your brother, your youngest brother was on the way and like everything was good. And like, and then all of a sudden, like you appeared in my life again, which I was thankful for. He goes, but it added a lot of complexities, especially between me and your mom, like, cause we were just butting heads behind the curtain. He's like, and it was creating so much stress with my own marriage and my kids and business. And he's like, and I just be honest, like being as young as I was, I just felt like I couldn't hack it. Couldn't do it. He's like, and that was a horrible mistake. He's like, had to do over again. I probably would have made it a different decision. He's like, but I can't. He's like, you know, all, all I can do is try to make up for time that was lost. And I, I think this really goes to show that if you, if I don't forgive, it's almost like me drinking the poison and hope he feels it, you know, and dies and gets sick or whatever, which I'm not going to do. So I've decided my, my dad's 75 years old and I don't know how much time he has left. He's very young at heart, very healthy guy, but I am not worried about the past anymore. I just won't. I don't, I don't want to spend time with it. I just want to focus in on what we have left. And it's been a good 18 years. And it's been really, really good, especially the relationship with my youngest brother. We're super tight. But here's what I will tell you just realistically. Is there a part of me when I go to family functions and I hear about the memories that my dad made with my younger half-brothers and how involved he was with their lives and scouting and camping and sports and all this other stuff. That hurts still a little bit. I bet. Not a lot, but it's still, I have to almost, sometimes my wife will be like, he was talking, does that ever bother you? I'm like, if I let it. I was like, I just a lot of times refuse to let it. I was like, it doesn't serve anything or anybody if I hold a grudge or if I think about what I didn't get. It's a waste of time. All I can do is focus in on what we have now. And that's where I have to, um, the human being in me still is like, yeah, but how, why, why still? But I know why, but yeah, there's still those times where it, it hurts a little bit. How frustrated did you become with your mother at that conversation? For um, putting so much friction and potentially yeah. in some way preventing you from having a father. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I think, um, my mom grew up with, you know, some, I think some trauma from her upbringing. Like my grandpa was an amazing man, but my grandmother was pretty tough. And I think my mom was probably had some of the relationship habits that she did from her upbringing. I think most of us have most of our shit from our childhood. Sure. But, uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't know how to answer that question because I, I don't, my mom and I haven't spoken in almost a decade. Um, she struggles with alcoholism horribly and the straw that broke the camel's back is when my 15 year old, he was two, my mom slapped him in the face Ooh, yeah, and that was it. Mm -hmm. And there had been a gazillion other things leading up to that, like all kinds of drinking episodes. I mean, she fell down a flight of stairs at my wedding and got a black eye. I mean, things like that I, it happened all the time, but you know, I think my mom, there was a part of her that I think was selfish about it. Yeah. Like, I don't want you to have this relationship with him because I don't like him. Right, right, right. 
But I also think that wanted that, to punish him a little bit. Yeah. Right. And but I also think that she was also being mama bear a little bit. Like she she knew how I think toxic that relationship was between the two of them. And maybe there was a part of her that was trying to be protective at the same time. But I think it came from a selfless, but also maybe a bit of a selfish aspect as well. Hey guys, follow us on all social media platforms to include Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Facebook group. We have so much information going on every single day and we don't want you to miss out on any of that stuff. So check it out. Go give us a follow. People have a hard time understanding how somebody could not talk to a parent. And I experienced this a lot because I think a lot of people, I would even say a far majority of people, have wonderful relationships with their parents. But there are a select few that have to make a tough decision and know that they'll be judged for that decision as a child because morally, you shouldn't be still taking care and talking to your parents. They're your parents. Um, that's complete horseshit. And I am one of those people as well. Uh, I had to make that decision as well. I will not go back. Um, I'm actually starting therapy again today. Uh, which I haven't gone for like four or five months. That's not a brag. I had a lot of stuff licked and then I need to go address some new shit because I'm glad that through some of my therapy work over the past, I went for about a year, no, not even, maybe like six, seven months, but I was able to acknowledge some real concerning behavior. I don't mean the sense of like, I'm like robbing liquor stores. It's not like, this is not typically- Just banks. Like, yeah, yeah, just <laughs> banks. But I'm saying like, this is not typically my MO. And I'm doing things that I'm like, that's weird. That's not who you are. Why are you doing that? So even so, my therapist has been like, hey, do you want to go into that? And I'm like, no, nah, I just, to for me, that's, that's not a place I'm willing to go right now. And I right. don't, I have no interest in it. To be honest with you, my life is just much easier without that. And unfortunately, there's still a lot of ties and I just can't escape it in some sense. So yeah, man, it's, it's like, I hear you on that. I was curious what the deal was with your mom. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's pretty much the deal. Um, have your kids accepted the fact that their grandmother's not in the picture? You know, I, uh, they don't really ask a whole lot of questions. Um, it's a shitty thing, man. I wish I could change it. I do too. I wish I I had a great grandmother and on on either side of the family because they, they got it. They got a shit deal right across the board. Yeah. My kids. Yeah. Come from fucked up parents. Uh, that's that's a, that's a tough situation. They pretend like they do. Yeah, you get a FaceTime at Christmas, right? Ten dollar check in the mail, right? Right. They just they weren't parents, so who could expect? And I explained this to her. I'm like, right. they weren't parents. You can expect people to be grandparents. Yeah, it's a fucking joke. I uh, I do have some. Yeah, it's interesting because Ethan um, witnessed like my my son getting slapped. Correct? Yeah, it's fucked right? up. Right. Yeah. So I think for him that that was an imprint for him. And, you know, it, here's, here's the thing. I mean, like, I could go on for an hour with, sto- with stories that involve alcohol and things that weren't safe. But here, here's where the rubber really meets the road for me with, with this whole thing. Are my kids safe? No, they're not. My mom was arrested uh, for driving the wrong way on a highway. Um, drunk i don't know i was like 12 years ago or something like that but anyway like i i sit there and i think about like because i i'll tell you i mean there's a part of me that's like i i harbor guilt right 
Yeah. My, my, my stepmom tells me, she's like, it, unfortunately, it's the cross that you have to bear and that you have to feel and you have to carry that guilt to protect the people that you love. Because there's always a part of me that is just like, well, man, like, am I, you know, how cold am I or like how horrible am I? But here's where I'll tell you where, where I sleep better at night. If something like, let's just say I brought my mom back into the picture mm-hmm. and something catastrophic were to happen. She got behind the wheel with my kids in the back seat and had too much to drink, or there was another episode or something like that, or she fell asleep while something else, while something happened. I would never, ever forgive myself because I knew better. Yeah. And that's where I sleep better at night because I'm like, well, wait a second. There's been a proven track record of things that have happened. You're an idiot if you go to right. it. But, but one other interesting story. So my 15 year old, we were getting ready because you know the the boys i think they see things but i'll be quite honest like they don't ask me about my mom really hardly ever um and they don't really bring up a whole lot of conversations about my dad like and uh, the whole past and anytime they ask me i don't and i don't actually volunteer a whole lot of information about my childhood but when they ask i'll tell them and my 15-year-old, he, we call him in the family the observant ninja. I don't know if your second born's like this, but he's- Oh my God. Right? He's very quiet. Like when it, he's, he's quiet and stoic, but he listens and sees all. And he won't ask usually something heartfelt unless he's really been gelling on it for a while. No shit. So we were getting ready. This is this past Christmas. We were getting ready to go over to my dad's house for Christmas. And every now and again, like- you know, he'll come up with a question that I know. I'm like, oh, wow, you've been thinking about this one for a while. And he's like, hey, can I ask you something? And he doesn't normally say that. I'm like, yeah, what do you got? And he's like, so we're going over to your dad's, right? And I'm like, yeah. And he goes, you like going over there? And I'm like, why do you ask? And like, just the fact that he asked something like that, because he doesn't, and I'm like, why do you ask? And he goes, I don't know. He goes, Something I've been thinking about lately. I was like, well, what have you been thinking about? He goes, I, I just think about like the whole thing of like, you know, the whole history of it. And he's like, I would never forgive you. Like he, he obviously had been thinking about this for a while. And I was like, well, tell me more about that. What do you mean? And he goes, you, if, you, if you leave, I would never forgive you ever. Like I would never speak to you again. In fact, I'd probably be so pissed that if I were to run into you, I'd want to kill you. And I'm like, it's fair. He's like, so do you like going over there? <laughs> Back to, and I'm like, it's fine. I was like, I can understand at your age why you feel that way. I was like, and is there a small part of me that has animosity? Sure. I was like, but the older I'm getting, I was like, you know, forgiveness is, is a gift. And, and that's the, that's the, that's the wave I want to ride with this relationship. I was like, nobody's perfect. I tell my boys this all the time. I luckily the, the, the boys, they compliment me a lot. And I think a lot of it is undeserving, but like Ethan would be like, you know, you're, you're, you're an amazing dad. I'm like, uh, not so fast. I'm like, I, I try. And he's like, stop saying you try. I was like, I try. I was like, trust me. I was like, I try to do a lot of things. Right. I was like, but when you're in your twenties and thirties and you have your own family, you're going to look back on some of the shit that I did and said, and you're going to be like, what the hell, dad? Like, I'm going to, you're going to grow up with your own bag of tricks. Like that I, you know, that I gave you that, you know, I didn't know what the hell I was doing at the time, 
but it's going to create, it's going to impact you in some way, shape or form. And we're going to both be looking at each other when I'm 70 and you're 40. And I'll be like, yeah, that was really dumb. I don't know what the hell I was thinking. I was, I was a new, you know, I was new at the time, but, um, you know, back to like, I, I do want to comment on, on, on the medication thing. I am well within that camp as well. You know, Ethan and I, um, have talked about this quite a bit. You know, when he was in fourth grade, we had him on a medication for ADHD. And that was because our doctor really pushed it. We weren't on board. It took us probably a year before we were like, okay, we'll try it. I think we had him on that medication for like, I don't know, a year. And he did better with school, but like he also had a hard time sleeping, just different things. And and not that anything was, but we were just like, you know, being, being, the host of the podcast, I've gotten to interview a lot of great ex- experts. And one thing I can tell you, some of the most brilliant freaking minds on the planet have ADHD. All of them do. Yeah. Like the fact, but they leverage it as a gift. That's right. right. They can think differently. They can think faster. They can think multiple different angles that someone who is in a Binary, box, right? yeah. yeah, in a box, thinking about social studies, and this is all I'm doing. And yes, I have an A on this report card, but I can't even hold a conversation with somebody. Right. So, you know, we're not on board, and I'm not saying this is for all parents. This is just for us. So take it with a grain of salt. But I don't necessarily buy into like let's medicate our children so they fit into this box and of I'll, school. And on top of that, like it's a fucking failed box. Every teacher that I'm it friends is. with is like, this thing's a joke. It, it is. The whole fucking, so they won't change it at the state. They won't change it at the government level. Right. Because then they lose their factory workers. Exactly. Well, so Ethan, my oldest, he just got accepted into this program in our, in our county called CAPS. So CAPS is like, and it's an, it is a phenomenal program. You have to apply, <laughs> apply for it, write an essay, all kinds of stuff to, to get into it. But basically, he's going to be pulled out of school a half day every day. I love it. I just, and he is going to learn business and entrepreneurship by working with other business owners. That's like cool. So it's, it's like this incredible community of like, we're going to teach you the life skills that actually move the needle. Not, not, the one, not polyelograms and algebra. We're going to actually, I don't even know what a polyelogram is. But, like, but, but they're actually going to teach these kids the skills that and, they actually need. Right. And here's, he's only gone to, he went to orientation. We're really, really big. And this is where things really move the needle. I think in real life, I've always been really big about like, when you meet somebody, shake their hands. Nice to meet you, sir. I'm Ethan. Look them in the eye, web to web, you know, like my, my dad, even though he was a, a dirt bag, he did teach me that stuff. And so did my grandfather. And the interesting thing is, is when the boys bring around you know, some of their friends or acquaintances to the house, I watch how they interact. And there was one kid that I'll never forget. I met him in the gym with Ethan. Ethan introduced me. This kid was on his phone and he literally like did this as he was on his phone and kind of gave me this wet blanket sort of handshake. And I just like looked at him and Ethan caught it. He was like, I saw you like look at him like what the hell, man. And the very first thing that they taught these kids where this is how, when you meet these professionals that are going to be, you know, basically teaching you about their businesses and introducing you to their customers and their employees and all sort of stuff and kind of like taking it, this is how you shake hands. Like, this is a dead fish. This is how you do it. Like, and he's like, dad, I already knew it. He's like, and there were some people that had no clue what the hell they were mm-hmm. doing. But like, just things like that. Like, I don't care what you got on your report card. 
you know, if you can't hold a conversation and you can't be confident in at least shaking my hand for crying out loud, like I was in executive level management in medical device sales for 10 years. So I had to do hiring and firing. I always knew within the first three to five minutes, is this person sitting across from me, somebody I would even, do I even want to spend 10 more minutes with them based on this first impression, you know, and that goes such a long way, even though they're like valedictorian and like summa cum laude and all that other crap, right? Which I think is great, shows they worked hard, but at the same time, do you have any social skills whatsoever? Yeah. You know, I, I don't, you know it's like your boss doesn't care if you know how to get good grades. You don't get right. to take a test when you leave college yeah. and get paid for it. And that's the biggest reality check. And I get such extreme frustration when parents are imposing upon these children they need to go to continued education of college, which is basically high school with more alcohol, and, and then live them, leave them with a life of debt. You've ruined your kid's life on the back end of your lack of knowledge of the world, your insecurities, and you walk away just kicking the dust, wiping your hands clean. You leave these kids with 185,000, 250,000 of li- lifetime. It, and most people are never going to be wealthy enough to start kicking that stuff down and knocking it down and beating it down. And you come out and get the same job as the fucking guy who didn't go to college. What do you think is going on here? The enterprise of these colleges. It's wild. Oh, man. I, I should introduce you to, um, uh, I, I have a good friend of mine. I'll leave his name out of it for now because I don't know if he would want the information I'll share public, but good friend of mine, he actually spoke at um, our summit last year, but his background is in education and he was in the admission office at Stanford for a while. And he was just like, and, and now he is an absolute savage when it comes to making sure that the youth today is, um, is educated properly. He's like, because he was like, he was like, I'm in the admissions office and I'm seeing like this stack of applications from all these people who are insanely qualified to go. And they're like, no, 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 not, not, not them over here. And they'd be like, this is a C student. Like what, what, why are we even having this kind of, well, you know, their, their parents came here and they, they donate, you know, quite a bit of money to, to the university and. Um, so we want to make sure that, you know, that we keep that family in this, in this university. And he's like, yeah, I think he was in his twenties when he was doing, he's like, are, are you kidding me? This is, this is how the education systems run. And he had multiple stories. Well, it's like the postcards, you know, yeah. you, know you know what they did with the postcards. Remember we used to get those when we were kids they were, like, in high school, you get, like, they would give you like the postcard to fill out and send in, you know, what that was done for, right? So they could say to other people, most people don't get in. It was a, it was a. They had to back the ratio of who didn't get accepted to college at this college. So what they did to support that was you would take one of these little cards out. I don't know if they still do this. You'd mail them. They'd send you a letter back that says you're rejected. But all it was was your name, your date of birth, and like, you know, like not even your date of birth, like your name, your address, da-da-da, and like your SAT score. And you sent that in. They sent it back to reject you. And so they could say to people, only the top of the top come to this school. We've rejected eight out of 10 people that have applied. There was no formal application. That's how they got away with that. It's real. That's wow. the, that was the business of college. That's interesting. You guys are ruining your lives on something that we have clear data results in nothing on the back end. Nothing. The back end data says if you, at a very minimum, work hard. And I can say that because 
you could be unintelligent, but work hard and probably make 300 grand a year. And then you start adding intelligence into that, forget it, the sky's the limit. But I can tell you for a fact, you could be a dope, but know how to work a power washer and make 300 grand a year if you're willing to put the work in. I think that's where the biggest line in the sand is. You know, you mentioned something that I think all young people should take in consideration, right? So like my son is a junior. He's listening to this entire conversation. The one thing that I wanted him to hear over and over again throughout this conversation is I think there's a, there's a few different types of people that do schooling, right? There are people that go the, the conventional route, right? They need that piece of paper. That's what they, that's what they felt that they needed to be successful. And that's what they go do. And they wear a suit or they do whatever they do. Right. Very binary, very basic people. Right. Not big thinkers. And th- no. by the way, that's perfectly yeah, fine. And if, if you're happy living your life that way, that's great. Right. Just don't ever try to shove everybody into that category. Right. But I also think that there is the other type of person like yourself, you know, who has a high school diploma. You were a police officer at 19 years old. You've obviously very successful. But you said something in there that separates you from other people. And that is, I am a lifelong learner. I never stop learning. I'm reading books. I'm in a podcast. Like I am feeding my mind, like, right? Constantly. Feeding your mind to constantly be better and constantly be sharper. And I think those are the types of individuals, as long as you have that, you're going to be set up for success. Where I think where people mistaken, where I, this is where I think people really get it wrong. Young people really get it wrong. Because they're told that, right. too, by the way. Well, I think they get it wrong by this. They're like, well, you know, there's, there's a guy who lives down the street from us. He, he has a high school degree, a high school diploma, and runs probably, it's about a $50, $60 million construction company, Josh. And he said, he says all the time, he's like, you know, no one will outwork me. Like, and I, I work smart, you know, and I, I, and he is very successful, but he's exactly like you are. He's exactly like I am. He is constantly learning. Someone is constantly teaching him something. He's like, I need to be better. I need to be better. So there's those people. But then I think there are some people where, you know, you take young people and they see that and they're like, oh, I, I I don't need a high school diploma. I I just need a high school diploma and I'll be fine. While, you know, they're scrolling on TikTok for six hours a day yeah, and wa- waste, or they're on video games. And they're yeah. like, well, I, you know, I don't need it. I don't need continuing education because I'll be successful. No, that, that is not the, you've got to bust your ass, constantly be a student, constantly be a learner, constantly be doing something that's going to bring other people value. You've got to be a workhorse. Either way, you have to be a workhorse. But this is where I think some people get it confused is that, well, you know, I could just slough off and be successful and I'll be okay. And good I'll, luck. Yeah, good luck. And that, that doesn't work That's either. what makes the people always like, hey, how's street cop training so successful? And by the way, we have our problems here. There's no question about it. But there is success, it's clear. Um, there's no competition. Like, you know, I, the Dana White video is good. He's like, you want to run all over these? You ever see that, that clip that's been viral for a while now? He's like, pro, all these people are so fucking soft. He's like, you got a little bit of a fuck, you know, I, I don't know the exact verbatim, but he's like, you could steamroll all these motherfuckers out here ain't none of these people even there is no dude honestly in the real world there is no competition this is fucking life and this is business and i'm willing to do things that you're not yeah i'm just and i and and probably the top prior the top reason for that is because i'm constantly educating and continuing to figure it out yeah and you think it's just going to be fucking given to you so i see myself on a different play like i'm playing a whole different game I feel the exact same way about what we do as you do about this. Uh, 
when I when I tell people, you know, what I do for a living, because it, it's they're like, you you make a living like <laughs> doing that, and I'm like, yeah. They're like, in that space with dads, I'm like, yes. And they're like, how is that possible? And I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, probably you and I are wired the same when it comes sure, to tenacity, sure of it right? And, and relentlessness. I'm like, you don't seem to understand. Like, this is so important to me. I'm so passionate about it. I will never stop. I'll never stop. Like, y- you cannot beat me down. You can't kick me down. My goal is to literally help reshape every freaking family possible. And I will, I will dig my own grave doing that. Yeah. I will never stop doing that Me ever. Too. And I, you know, you see these people that, like, I can't even tell you, like, and I'm sure you probably have the same, but I can't even tell you how many people want to want me to help them with podcasting, like just podcasting alone, like even in a different space. Like, how do you get the podcast so big? And I'm like, you. I was like, if you look back on all my shows for the past almost nine years, I have not missed one, not one, not one. And I was like, and we've launched three, three a week. When I, when I tell people, I'm like, listen, you can't just buy a microphone and start recording and you think that that's going to that's gonna do it. In fact, I'm sure you probably have heard the term pod burn, right? Where people burn out after like 10 episodes. I'm like, listen, you have to like literally eat shit for a year. Oh, yeah. You have to or expect, longer. right. You have to expect that this is probably going to go nowhere for at least a year and be okay with that and continue people to- People are not willing. They're not. And I'm willing to do whatever the fuck it takes. Right. I had one guy, I kid you not, like, and this one floored me, like he invited me to come on his podcast and then he canceled an hour before the podcast. I'm, I'm in a position luckily now where I don't, people, you know, if I come on the show, they're not going to cancel it. But, and this guy, and I was like, he's like, Hey, you know, I just wanted to let you know I'm, I'm canceling today's recording. And I was like, Oh, okay. Why? I was like, it's fine. It's your show. And he's like, why? He's like, why? He's like, Oh, you know, I just finished season three. I'm, I'm going to take next season yeah, off. Fuck and I'm like, why would you take a season yeah, off? Yeah, it's a fucking like, stupid dude. You basically just told your entire audience that you've just probably built up for God only knows how long that, you know what? I'm not consistent anymore. I need a break. And I'm like, people depend on that content. Like, they depend on it. Like, it's a- Bro, I understand, man. You know you what I mean? Term, I, I was in a podcast. I'm not going to say which one. And this dude started like dialing back how much he was doing. I haven't listened to it since. Yeah. And I was lost, man. It's a, good, it's a big, big name. And uh, came back and did more later on. But that, I was like, I'm not making that mistake. Dude, I gotta get the fuck out of here. I'm sorry. No, you're we good. Gotta, we gotta wrap this bitch That's up. Fine. Let's do it. Where can people find your podcast? Uh, thedadedge.com. You can find the podcast wherever you download podcasts. We're on iHeartRadio, Pandora, iTunes. We gotta do this Spotify. again. Dude. Yeah, let's do it again. No, seriously. You don't gotta come back and fly in. Yeah. Like, we'll just fucking do it via Zoom. We'll have, uh, we'll do it, whatever. Let's just keep doing these. Uh, I don't think uh, we've even touched into some of the shit that we're gonna get into. We haven't. We, we've wrapped on a lot. But yeah, no, I'm good. But yeah, you find me on all, any channel. You gotta do dad shit, bro. I can't wait to tell you about what kind of father I am. Well, I well, I'm gonna see it on July 4th next year. So yeah, yeah that's before okay. that, we'll have like 10 conversations. <laughs> Thanks for being here, brother. Thank you. Hey guys, check out our upcoming training at streetcop.com. Don't forget, we have 50 instructors nationally teaching a variety of topics. These are the best classes you're going to experience in your career. We make sure of it. You're going to love it. I guarantee you, you're going to be thankful that you went. Check us out at streetcop.com for all upcoming classes in your area.